0: This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with George Sosha, the Senior Vice President of Brand Awareness for Reveal, an e discovery software company. He's also a member of the advisory board for the Association of Certified e Discovery Specialists. And most notably, George is the co founder of the Electronic Discovery Reference Model. Hi, George. How are you?
1: Hello, Ari, and thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today, inviting me on your program.
0: It's a privilege, and I'm very excited to be speaking with you. So tell us about your background and your role at Reveal.
1: 16 years, roughly, as a practicing lawyer, a litigator, I did not try enough cases to feel as if I'd earned the name of trial lawyer, but the longest trial I worked on was four months. In 2003, I left the last law firm I was at, launched a solo practice as an e-discovery consultant, quickly pulled in to help me, a friend of mine and colleague, Tom Geldman. Together, we started EDRM in 2005. In 2016, Tom retired. We handed EDRM off to Duke Law School, and I joined a large services provider where I was for about four years. Since September, I have been with Reveal.
0: Reveal recently acquired NexLP to enhance its AI capabilities. What role do you see AI playing in eDiscovery?
1: AI, artificial intelligence, is playing an increasingly significant role in virtually every aspect of electronic discovery. I think that role is going to become and should become much larger as we move forward the volumes and complexity of the data we deal with go beyond our capabilities as individual humans to get our arms and our heads around. We need additional capabilities to find meaning and make sense of that content. The range of capabilities offered by artificial intelligence help greatly in that effort to get our arms around and get an understanding of that data.
0: 15 years ago, you determined that e-discovery needed a framework to operate more efficiently. Now, 15 years later, has the objective of the EDRM been realized? As I was looking
1: for the next move in my career, once I was no longer with a large services provider, I decided that if I could have my say... I would end up working for an electronic discovery software company or platform provider. And the reason for that is that the technology has changed considerably in the last 15 years. What we can do with the tools available to us now were things we could only contemplate as unattainable possibilities in many ways back in 2005. And what I have seen is that We have gone from a situation where pretty much unavoidably, as we moved through that process that's mapped out at a conceptual level in the EDRM framework, we've gone from a place where 15 years ago, if you were to have resized the boxes and the circle on the EDRM diagram, based upon the amount of money and the amount of effort put into each of those stages, the review box would have pushed everything else completely off to the edges. You wouldn't even be able to read the text in, for example, the production box. That was unavoidable because we didn't have the tools, the techniques, or the buy-in to do it any other way. With the development of artificial intelligence capabilities applied to the world of e-discovery. And all that that brings along with it, artificial intelligence in many forms, and you can debate and people do debate what is and what is not artificial intelligence. I'll use a very broad definition here. It has changed what we can do so that we can focus so much more on the analysis part of it. And we can do that at every stage of the process. And if you do that successfully, and I think Technology like Reveals can help you do that successfully. You can resize those boxes so that that review box no longer becomes, in terms of the money spent, the effort, the energy involved, it no longer is the largest of the boxes, but shrinks considerably. The analysis box grows, but not to the size that the review box had. So you see a change in the money and effort spent, if this is done well reducing the overall total money spent, the overall time involved, the overall effort and energy, and allowing things to be done much more quickly. It does a couple of other things. If you take a look at the EDRM diagram as we originally put it together in 2015 and as it continues to today and for understandable reasons, and you look at the volume and relevance triangles, those are triangles. We did not attempt when we put those together to do something to suggest exactly at what point the volume of data would go down or how much it would go down, we did not try to suggest at what point the remaining percentage of relevant data would increase or how much it would increase. We wanted to convey two general concepts. One, if you were doing the job effectively, volume would go down. And two, if you were doing the job effectively, the data you were still working with much smaller than what you started with, for that data, an increasingly large percentage would be relevant. But try resizing or reshaping those triangles. And if you look at it in a traditional approach to electronic discovery, that volume triangle no longer looks like a triangle. It stays high for a long way through the process. And only as you get into review and well into review does that volume amount start to drop and drop precipitously? Similarly, for a long time through the process, there's definitely a correlation here. The relevance triangle, that top line, it's not a triangle. It stays close to the bottom and only at the end of the process does it increase. That's not really what we want. We want something very different. We want to start cutting away at the volumes as quickly as we can We wanna try to get to relevant information as quickly as we can. So we want something where, again, instead of a triangle, you've got a precipitous drop near the beginning in terms of volume. And with the relevance, instead of a triangle, you have a significant jump near the beginning in terms of percentage of data you're dealing with, which is actually of interest and concern in the matter you're working on. How do you get there? One of the ways you get there is through the effective use of the developed and developing artificial intelligence capabilities as they're applied to electronic discovery.
0: Given how much change has occurred, is it time for a different structure, a different framework?
1: (laughs) I don't think so. Maybe I'm being overly protective for the diagram itself. I would not resize the different elements. A resizing has to do with a particular perspective in a particular situation. Similarly, I wouldn't change those volume and relevance triangles. I wouldn't take the lines away either, although a lot of people do. They represent a very important component of it, which is that we have iterative processes and we're forever going back to an earlier stage conceptually in the processes we're going through. I also haven't seen a need to change any of the boxes. When Tom and I were running EDRM, they'd come to us and say things like, you don't need a processing, a review, and an analysis box, three separate boxes. Those should all be one box. Why? Because our software or our services deliver all three. So just make it one box and put our name in and we can call it quits. I don't think so.
0: During the pandemic, you developed the eDiscovery Leaders weekly video program on the ACEDS network. Tell us about that and the lessons that you've learned from those conversations.
1: That weekly session, which typically runs about 25 minutes, 11 a.m. Fridays, is an outgrowth of a column I had been doing on the ASEDS website where I would track the various things I came across during the course of a week having to do with electronic discovery, privacy, and a few other areas, prepare short summaries. We decided to try presenting a summary of the summaries live on Friday mornings. At about the same time, however, I realized there was no way I could continue with that blog column as a practical matter. Once I joined Reveal, it just wasn't going to work. I thought, however, we had an opportunity to try something different with the platform. I brought on first one, and then another, and then another guest. This is not a novel concept. It has been an interesting exercise from my perspective because I get a chance to talk with people who have a variety of perspectives, a variety of experiences. We've had the law firm attorneys. We've had in-house people. We've had people at service providers. We've had people in the United States. Next week, we'll be talking with someone from Ireland. In December, we'll be talking with someone from Brussels. They provide a variety of perspectives, and they help me step back a little and reflect and ask myself, well, is what I'm thinking about where things are going reflected in what they're thinking or do they have a different take on things? Two interesting recent discussions were this last Friday's discussion with Ron Best, who's an e-discovery attorney at Munger Tolls, and his vision, if he could have any e-discovery software at all that he wanted, don't worry about any limitations what would it look like? And he came up with a seven-point plan, if you will, for what he would like to see. Very interesting. Another interesting one, I think the week before, was with Udi Hershkovich at Amazon Web Services and his take on where he thinks things could or should be going. So it gives me some different perspectives. So it gives, I hope, the people who attend live or the people who come to the recordings, an opportunity as well to hear and see some different perspectives and get a chance to think about how
0: those might play out for them. In March, you earned your SED certification. Congratulations. Why did you pursue that this year? I held off for so long because I kept thinking, what if
1: I take that test and I do not pass? Even if nobody else knows, I will know. And I will feel like such a failure if that happens. However, I am part of the Global Advisory Council for ACETS. We talked on that council about the importance of members going through the process, seeing what the educational material is like, having the experience of taking the test. Never mind what the outcome is. Because if we are members of that council and we're going to provide meaningful input, we really should go through that process. So I put on my armor, girded my loins, and went to battle against that test, thinking, oh my God, how is this going to go? It went fine. It was a useful experience for exactly the reasons I just laid out. I think it helps me be in a better position to provide what I hope is at least
0: a modicum
1: of useful guidance and advice to the advisory council.
0: Do you think that certifications have increased in their appeal during this period? Truthfully, I think it's
1: really hard to say. The certification plays different roles or performs different functions for different people. For some people I know, it has been, they feel, an important thing to be able to add to their CV as they look to advance their careers. For others, it's a way of having an independent assessment of how they're doing, what their skills and capabilities are as measured against something that's not the people they work with. The matters they work on. Think of it as a tool in their own personal professional advancement, if that makes sense. So I think the value of it depends upon where you're coming from and what you're seeking out of it. I suspect that in these very turbulent times we live in, where a significant number of people have gone through job changes they did not anticipate going through, having the ability to study for and take the test and especially if they pass the test to
0: be able to say that they've done so, is a useful and very valuable resource for people. How do you see the pandemic changing e-discovery over the long term? The immediate change was almost overnight.
1: In-person review no longer was a viable option. The organizations that provide reviewers to work on projects had to pivot virtually overnight from having review facilities and rooms where reviewers all came into one space and were monitored and supervised there, could communicate with each other face-to-face, exchange ideas, all that was gone almost instantly. And the organizations had to figure out how to deliver that virtually. For some, they had the good fortune to set up these type of capabilities already. For the ones who were already able to do this, it was a smoother transition. For the ones who hadn't done this before, remote review, it was a scramble. I was surprised in a very positive way at how quickly everyone figured out how to shift to a different approach to things so that review could be conducted effectively remotely. I don't think we're going back entirely to just a review room situation. There are some definite advantages to remote review as well as some challenges that come from it. One advantage is that you don't have geographical limitations. If you want someone on your review team who has specialized capabilities, you no longer have to ask, but can that person drive to the review site each day or take a train? Now you can use someone who's across the country, across the globe, if there aren't cross-border issues, that wasn't an option before. So you have much more flexibility in how you assemble your teams. If you build in the right technical communication capabilities, you now have an opportunity for team members to actually communicate more frequently and more effectively than when they were in a room together and to be able to preserve the important content from those communications, as well as the content around those communications so that you can have a better sense if you need to look back at who decided what, when, and why. Things that often got lost before. Another area that I think is not going to change, we've had to figure out how to collect data differently. It no longer is viable to send people physically to locations with boxes to copy data from boxes to those boxes. We had to figure out how to do it remotely. There's going to be, I think, no reason to unwind that. Sending people to locations physically always was problematic. You had to find the person who had the time available, not just to do the work, but to get to the location, get back again. No one liked paying the travel expenses. No one liked paying additional fees associated with traveling. It takes extra time. No one liked that delay. If you can grab that content remotely, and we're figuring out how to do a better job of that, why would you go back? Another thing that has changed is that I think that with how we all are doing things differently now, it has opened the eyes of many to the broader array of types of electronically stored information that have been there all along, but haven't been so obvious or haven't been so widely used that we should be thinking about when we are involved in investigations and lawsuits. An obvious example is anything recorded from a Zoom call, whether it's audio or video or chat. There are any number of other platforms similar to that. There are all sorts of other forms of electronic communication that we hadn't been thinking about so much. And it's not only the electronic communications, it's every other way we generate and store data. I think our eyes have been opened a bit as a result of that. I don't think they're going to close. The other thing I've seen, and I don't know whether this will continue or whether this will subside. At least initially there was an unprecedented a willingness on the part of folks, especially law firm attorneys, to try something they hadn't tried before. They didn't have a choice in some situations like review and collection. They did have a choice in other areas. My suspicion is that Because they, too, were having to do everything differently. Suddenly, they were working remotely. Suddenly, they were using technology they'd been able to ignore in the past and have other people use on their behalf. I think that at least for some people, that opened up a new willingness to try things in a different way. Not try them at random. Not just try anything willy-nilly. But certainly, if there seemed like a better way of doing things, give it a shot and see how it worked out. That. I don't know whether that will continue. That
0: we'll have to wait and see. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with George Sosha, the Senior Vice President of Brand Awareness for Reveal, an e-discovery software company. He is also a member of the Advisory Board for the Association of Certified e-discovery Specialists and is the co-founder of the Electronic Discovery Reference Model. George, it's been a privilege. Thank you so much. Ari, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.